Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited for our conversation today. We have Rachel Musiker. She's head of sales at Prequel. Rachel, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to be here for first podcast ever. Already messing up, but yeah, pumped to be here. Um, love that you reached out to me cold on LinkedIn because that is exactly what I'm doing right now as a sales team of one. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you're up to at Prequel. I know you obviously said, um, you know, team of one right now, but I would assume that's not the plan long term. It is not. So uh, I can give you a little bit of backstory. Um, basically, Prequel is a very, very cool platform. It's a metrics layer for business teams. Uh, founded by two females, co-founders, very close friends, data engineers back in the early days at WeWork. They started a data consultancy firm um, several years ago called Data Culture. I started working with them at my last company called Fivetran. We worked together for like three or four years, just partnering back and forth. And so it was basically just a matter of when, when we would start working together. Um, and basically what Prequel is solving for was was the problem that they saw that they were solving manually, like in their data consulting work. Basically, yeah. what Prequel is enabling um, our business teams to be able to like create and define their own KPIs without having to rely on data engineers. So I love that. The world that I've been in for the last five years now is the kind of the data engineering uh, modern data stack world. I love that. You know, <clears throat> I mean, I think ultimately when companies do exactly what you're talking about here, right? Is like just solving a problem. They're like, hey, we we had this problem as we went and did consulting for companies. They said, hey, like there was a problem in, in the industry or like when we're doing our consulting for them to come in and say, hey, this is how we're going to solve this issue. Like, I love that. Yeah, totally. You can't really have a company now. I don't think that's not solving a business problem because especially in today's market, like you literally need to be able to quantify the pain, which I think is super important. I'm happy to chat a little bit more about later, but being able to like quantify the pain and then actually providing some sort of solution. Like you can't just sell a software now for like 50K and it just gets by without <laughs> being able to tie it back to like the business user, the, the you know, back all the way to the CFO at this point. So yeah, it's yeah. exciting. And we're solving something that I knew was important, but like it's resonating more and more, which is obviously very nice to see on the sales side. So yeah, I love that. You know, um, how did you get into sales? Like, I'm curious there. Yeah, so uh, it's a funny story. And I can't, this could be a long story. It could be short, but I'll, I'll make it long. Um, <laughs> when I was going to college, uh, I wanted to be in communications and PR. And so I applied to many different schools. The school that I landed on had a community and public affairs program. I was an idiot senior in high school, not really knowing about like the corporate world where I'm like, okay, community sounds like communications, uh, public relations sounds like public affairs. That's awesome. I'm going to get into like PR. Um, <laughs> totally not. It's like social yeah. work, psychology and sociology, which I, I now love very, very much. And like being in that world, it helped just me as a person had really nothing to do with like what my job would be. So when I was graduating, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I met this recruiter and she's like, Rachel, like you have the personality for sales. This was 2016. And so I don't think tech sales was like the coolest thing yet at that point, or at least I didn't know or didn't think that. And I was like, 
I don't want to do sales. It's demeaning. Like I think people still, or I had the connotation of like a used car salesman. And I was like, ugh, I do not want to do this. Um, and this woman was like, Rachel, trust me, go meet with this CEO. Like they do cool stuff. It's a social media analytics company. I'm like, okay, cool. Social media. Like I'm in. And I met the CEO and I was like, candidly, like, I don't really want to be in sales. And he's like, Rachel, this interview is a sale. Like I'm selling you on my company and myself and Rachel, you're selling you. And I was sold and I was like, okay, cool. Like I could make commission and I can sell and just like learn a product. And, um, that's been my only job since I graduated. And like, I don't think I will ever not do sales. I think it's like the most valuable thing in the world. And my friends, I think were in sales. Um, I resonate with a little bit more because, you know, we have to deal with like ups and downs all the damn time. And it just makes us be able to have like conversations with anyone. And yeah, I could go on. (laughs) No, I love that. I love that. And I think, right. You bring up a lot of great points. Like what I think ultimately, like, I'd love to understand what drives you towards sales, because I think some people, right. Like there's that, there is obviously that negative connotation that comes along with sales and it's, it, there's a reason why there's a negative connotation, but I think there's a there's a a massively big group and not the majority of salespeople that hate the negative connotation because they're not doing things that same way of yeah salesperson, right? Yeah, I the way that I've thought about it. So now I lead sales, even though it's a team of one. But like I I started out as an AE for four years, then I was a manager for two years, and I feel like since day one I've or maybe a year into my sales career, I've attempted to kind of like grassroots change the perspective of selling from how I've interacted with my customers. So like being super authentic and not selling them on something. And like the pivotal moment for me was the first year of my selling career. Like I sucked. And I, because I focused so hard on understanding the product and like being perfect at demoing the platform, but I did not know how to do discovery at all. I would just kind of like pitch and that's like, you know, sales 101 where you just like do not want to do that. But like I was reporting to the CEO, we didn't really have like any sort of concrete sales training at that point. I was just like, I need to know this product perfectly. Right. It worked out in the end because then I was able to tie like how I learned to sell with, with being like a product expert. But the pivotal moment for me of like removing that negative connotation is understanding people's problems of like, why are we having this conversation in the first place? Yeah. What is the biggest challenge for you? And then the big piece is like tying it to their vision of what a solution can do, not mine necessarily. And then being like, okay, perfect. Now let's map the features of the product to what your expectations and requirements and like in command of the message speak, like required capabilities are in a solution. And that I think was a very honest way of selling of like, you said this. And so this is why I'm showing you this and you articulated this is like, you know, $500,000 problem. Um, so you're really being able to connect the ROI, um, to the problem that we're having or like, instead of selling features and benefits, right. You were able to connect those features and benefits to solution to business solutions, um, that they were currently having or issues. Right. And, and I think ultimately that probably made you a better, better seller and maybe better understand your customer and your ICP a little bit better. Yeah, totally. Were there, were there like, where was the aha moment, right? Or that turning point that you were like, 
I'm not getting this right. This is not, this is not the way that I should be selling this product. Like, was there something that happened or was it just like kind of a constant journey as like, okay, I'm not doing things the right way. I'm not maybe hitting the metrics that I'm looking for. Yeah. I think for a while I felt massively defeated. I was like, I'm not closing these deals. I think also over time I learned like territory is a really big thing. Like the, the segment and like the, uh, the, the vertical here in matters so much. Like, I was dying to be in like media and entertainment and someone else had a different one. And like, it does matter. Like, let's not, let's not lie about that. But there was a very pivotal moment and it was sales training. I had a VP that like lived in Luxembourg that came because our company was headquartered in Luxembourg. He came to the US and like, he was a heavy hitter, like really serious, like incredible salesperson. And he came in and he was like, you idiots in New York, like you're not doing this right at all. (laughs) You're like feature dumping on these people. And he went through like his Gartner selling methodology, which was like problem, solution, value, power plan. Yeah. Um, power plan is like almost self-explanatory, but like what I loved was uh, what what is the problem in their words? What is their vision of the solution? And then what is the value to them if that solution can be solved? And for me, it was like a math frame. It was like a math framework for me. Um, to be like, I need to fill these out mentally for me to get to the deal. So um, I think that was the pivotal moment where I'm like, okay, like I get the product and now I know how to like actually do a discovery call. And I will like anybody this like discovery is the most important part of any sales process and will continue to be so like even until the negotiation. Absolutely. Talk to us about like, why do you think that? Right. Like, cause I would agree with you. But I'd love to hear your thought process. Yeah. I mean, if you're not doing discovery of like, what does the person need? What is their biggest challenge right now? What do they need in a solution? Um, And like, why is it important to them personally? And then why is it important to the business? Like, you're never going to get a deal. Like, I can't even wrap my head around not knowing certain fields within Salesforce. And I've like (laughs) yelled at my whole team in the past of like, you don't have a deal here. Like, do you even know at all what they, what they're looking for or like, why is this a pain point? So, um, I just, yeah, I can't even imagine like not, not, and discovery is an art. Like it's hard. Yeah. Um, like I'm still pulling up, like I'm building this out at prequel now of my own discovery framework. And I'm, you know, rummaging through the list as, as we go, or I'm like, okay, like what questions should I be asking right now in this moment in time? And like, it's a continuous learning process for sure. Sure. And so like, does the approach ever change um, when you're like meeting with different people or does do you, what you found now that to be like the most successful of um, is the approach kind of like stayed the same with maybe a little bit of, maybe a little bit of a different flavor. Yeah. It's, it's a good question. So I had created like when I had joined five trans for August of 2019, I created a discovery framework for myself that like still to this day is used at the company I I hired a team externally, like I hired each of my reps, mostly external. Um, and I gave them my discovery framework. And I think the big thing is like, you cannot use this like a robot, you know, like you, you have to be able to read the room and pivot. Yeah. And so yeah, million percent, like it has to change sometimes. Like if it's an inbound call, Hey, why are you, why are you interested in, in my company? If it's outbound, like and I, I, I swear by this, like if it's outbound and it's kind of like, you know, they gave me the time 
and I'm going to run through a 30 minute discovery without really like weaving in what the product does. Yeah. I don't think that works. So I'm of the mindset of like doing a discovery demo where it's like, okay, like you want to see, uh, behind the curtains, like, let me walk you through a demo, but ask questions throughout of like, okay, here's how you can create a metric today within, within prequel. Walk me through how you're doing that today. So just kind of like weaving in, in both, I think is so critical. What do you, you know, and, and I'll give you a little, maybe a little pushback. Like, do you think it's a disservice to the consumer by showing them a demo of the product before you've actually done a discovery? Cause I would say at that point, maybe you don't fully understand the business use, right. Or like the problem you're solving ultimately by with showing them, but on the flip side, right. Like the way that customers buy has completely changed. You know, yeah. they've done a ton of research they know what they're looking for. And ultimately it's on us to see like how our product is going to be that solution. But we don't ultimately know that until we're able to have like a really thoughtful discovery call with somebody. And so like, how do you merge the two to be like, and I think you're trying to now, right. Of saying, Hey, yeah. I'm going to take them to a really thoughtful discovery and ask questions at the same time. But my question is like, is it, is it, I think ultimately maybe a disservice to the person by not taking them to a discovery call but on the flip side, they may not like that. They may not want to do that either. So there may not be a right or wrong answer there. I think it's both. Like I would never get on a call and be like, hey, I'm Rachel. Here's a demo. Yeah. Like do five to 10 minutes of discovery. And honestly, like I'm not going to lie in the past, like a demo could be a crutch too of like, you know what? Sure. This isn't the right fit. I have no idea what this person really cares about. They're not giving me anything because they're purposely being standoffish because yep. I'm a seller. Let me use this demo as like a last ditch effort to just be like, hey, maybe this does resonate. I will weave in those questions, but I would never or have my team run a dis like run a demo without doing at least a few minutes of of discovery. Yeah. Just to be to be clear on that. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think that was clear, right? Like I just yeah. <clears throat> always go back and forth, right? Because you think about I, and I can think about myself as a leader and people reach out to me saying, hey, you know, I want to sell you this technology or I want to show you this tool. And ultimately, I felt always felt like, hey, I just want you to show me. A, I want you to show me your product. I don't really want you to ask me discovery questions. But on the flip side for the seller, right, like they need to have that discovery to better be able to show you like a better demo. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I don't know how those two worlds collide. I don't know. It's totally, it's totally both. And it depends on the person that you're chatting with. Like someone could be nasty and they're like, I just want to see a demo. And something I learned from an old boss is um, like always prefacing something like with the reason why I'm asking this is like the reason why I'm asking you all of these questions before I walk you through a demo is that I'm making sure that this demo is relevant. I could show you a million different things. Yeah. But like, I do need to understand a little bit. And then they'll usually kind of like push back, like pull back a little bit and be like, okay. I get it now. She's not just interrogating me. Yeah. Right. All right. And <clears throat> there is a very clear differentiation between interrogation and discovery. Yeah. You know, um, I think people struggle on really early on and I'm not sure if you did, but like when you first come into that sales role, I think there's a connotation or an idea of like how you think you should be selling. And I think probably that's what you thought really on really early on. Like, Hey, I had to be a product expert. I have to know this thing back and forth and I have to truly understand um, everything about my product and how it solves problems. But on the flip side of that, it's like, that's not necessarily what you need to do, right? Like it can be a, um, a figured out thing as you go through the process with your consumer or your, your prospect. Um, like how did you develop your style and like how, 
how do you think your style most replic like what would you compare it to or like what do you want your prospect to feel as you're taking them through this experience because that's how i think about it yeah i so i remember um when i when i graduated and i was in this role like i remember exactly where i was sitting i was on a call and i'm like if they looked at my linkedin they know that i graduated two months ago and so i had to <laughs> think it was imposter syndrome it wasn't sure, an imposter. sure. like it wasn't a syndrome i was an imposter like yeah. i'm not an expert in this like i was just in college so that to me was me being so in my head of like oh why would they want to speak to me and it sounds like um a little bit like egotistical, but I think once I had like a year or two post-graduation, I was like, okay, I've been in the corporate world enough. Like I can gain a little bit of, of confidence there, but yeah. we had this on a call the other day too, of like walking through with both of my co-founders, like what a POC would look like with prequel. And I was like, we're not going to make this not fun. And yeah. so I feel like my style has always been like, let me, I want to make the sales process as like fun as possible. Like, I'm very transparent. Like I don't love negotiating candidly. Like I'll obviously do it, but I, I kind of go through the negotiation of like, Hey, I don't really want to go back and forth with you. Like, let's just be open together. Like you let me know what your budget really is, please, because it's just going to make it so much easier. I'm not going to use it against you. And I will tell you what I think that we can do. Um, you know, I'm sure there are like a million other trains of, of thought there. Um, but yeah, my selling style has always been like, just, try to have fun with the prospect and also make it as simple as possible. So it's fun. And then project managing is, is the way that I've kind of thought of it as is like these people probably get hit up by so many vendors, probably some of my competitors. And so what I've always, always done is have like a shared mutual deck, like a mutual action plan mm-hmm. that also has like the overview of the tool conversations to date, um, you know, today's world and challenges and impact, future state, blah, 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 and resources that are like hyperlinked and like the documentation. It's self-serving because otherwise I'm going to be in a million places. Like I want to know that like, this is where the proposal is, but then it also helps them where I'm like, Hey, reattach the deck. I've reattached the deck. Here's where Uh everything leaves. So like simple project management and fun is kind of like what I tried Fun sounds so stupid, but like, I do mean that. No, no, I think so. Really, like, and I think there can be like a fun part of the aspect because, you know, buying, buying something sometimes is such a, such a stressful and serious time. And yeah. I think, you know, <clears throat> what I suspect has happened, right. Is like, you've brought that fun attitude, like, cause this wouldn't work for everybody. Right. But what I think has happened and you tell me if I'm wrong is like you brought some authenticity to the role and how you like to work. And I and I bet you're just a fun person to be around and you just try to resonate that into um, what you do and love as a salesperson, which then I think ultimately makes us better salespeople and um and more people. Right. Like it, We're still a person at the end of the day, even though we may be trying to sell a product or service. And I think ultimately. Yeah. Um, the conversation that you and I've had, right? It's it. You only sell your your product or your service if there's a, if there's a problem, right? And you're solving the problem. And um, especially in today's age, where we're in a down market, right? It's become even harder to sell your products or service or your services. Yeah. And so, really being able to connect that to a business case is, I think, key. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, you have to have a business case at this point. Like, 
I don't know exactly what the statistic is, but like CFOs are getting involved in like over 90% of, of deals now, which makes sense. Like, I think that it probably should have always been that way. Yeah. And it probably was, but like CFOs are now joining these conversations too, which is really interesting. Um, and so you How does that change to, the dynamic? Um, I mean, the stakes are higher, right? Yeah. Like they need to know where every single dollar is coming from. And uh, they also have their own use cases, which is kind of cool. So like, and this was something that resonated with me when I was working with a customer in Toronto, like right during COVID when I think mm-hmm. like people were buying tools, like kind of like crazy, but there was still a lot yeah. of scrutiny. It was, it was such a, I can't, it was such a weird time, but I remember <laughs> um, he was like, Hey, I think the easiest way to get this deal done is if we start with the finance analytics use case. And I was like, Oh shit, of course. Like if we can solve a problem that like product marketing, finance, data, engineering, analytics, all needs, but we start with the team that actually pays for this. Yeah. It's going to be so much easier. And so like tying, tying, solving a problem to like the finance team or the revenue teams challenges is obviously massively valuable. Um, and so, and we're trying to sell to like CFOs, CROs now today at prequel. Um, so it's coming up more and more. And I think it's just like, we need to get, uh, the talk track, like really tight. Yeah. I mean, I think right at a one-on-one selling is a little bit different than obviously selling to a committee or a group. Right. And what you're saying is, you know, the buying, you know, previous, you know, five years ago, right. Like there may have been two to three people involved in a, in a buying sale, but now we're seeing more and more people um, being part of this buying process. Um, Whereas like we may have seven different people within an organization that we have to connect with and then um, help, you know, purchase the product. And so, When dealing with all those different personalities, what have you found to be the most effective um, in keeping everyone engaged and obviously right, like with the ultimate goal to then be the best solve? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is like tactical and very basic and simple and I could talk more complex, but like yeah. if we're on a call, like popcorning to those people, right? It's like, hey, you know, XYZ name, you mentioned that this was a problem for you. Here's why I want to talk about this right now. Like, we were on a call yesterday where it was the CMO, the CFO, or no, the, the CMO, the CTO, and the CPO. Okay. And like the CMO was the one driving the technical conversation. And I was like, oh my God, like the CTO hasn't said one thing right now. And the CMO is driving this entire like data-driven conversation. And so like the C-suite is getting smarter and smarter and they're having to get like tied into these like, I don't want to say lower level projects, but like buying software for the maybe for the first time but like it was it was cool to have these conversations with them and so like if we're getting everybody on a call including every every persona in the conversation of like hey i haven't heard from tom you know in this conversation like tom like how is this resonating like what what problems are you having today and like can we help solve them and then something else an old boss shared with me too is like and i shared this with my team is like having many mini conversations throughout the sales process of like, yeah. you know, you have your discovery call then your demo, then your trial setup, then your trial check-in and the pricing, like go text your prospect after the second call and be like, Hey, what did you think? Like, here's something I thought would be valuable. And just like tying those like mini, mini check-ins of, of just like providing a little bit of value to them. 
Ooh, I like the mini check-ins, right? Yeah. And so is it always with the intention of like trying to provide value through the entire process? Or I is mean, it is it is it more so, right? Like on the other side of like trying to build relationships? Both, for sure. Like obviously building the relationship, I think first and foremost, like yeah. it's hard to always build value. Like if I had something valuable to, to send up, <laughs> I don't know, that that's crazy. Like very rarely is there something like, wow, this article made me think of you. Um, right. So like, ideally, sure, but like, no way. You know, it's it's like, hey, how are things going? Like me being a little self-serving of like, how is the MNDA going, whatever? Um, or just like, how was the last conversation with the other partner? So like, you know, I think a mix of both. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, Rachel, I'm going to transition the conversation a little bit. Like, I'd love to understand, like, I think there's a big move when it comes to like, being an individual contributor and then obviously moving to that leadership role. Like, and I'd love to understand like how you prepared yourself and um, maybe some of the steps that you took to get ready for that type of role. Cause it's a little different. Yeah. It's very, very different. And uh, now I'm actually kind of back to being an IC again, which is yeah. interesting back to LinkedIn prospecting back to follow up. <laughs> so I've like, I just naturally had always kind of been like a, a team lead in a way, like without having that title of just like, here are the processes that I've built out for myself that has really worked. Like the discovery framework that I shared with you, sure. my like proposal decks and I would have like an onboarding kind of playbook. And so that it kind of was like a natural transition for me, which I don't think it always is. And I feel very like lucky that I was able to do that. But like when I was at five turn, I didn't interview, I probably shouldn't say this, but like I didn't interview for the manager role. It kind of just happened. Um, but for me, it took a while for me to decide like, yes or no. Like there were three or four times where I was like, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to apply for this role or I'm not ready for it. Yeah. Um, and like, I think you probably. Well, I was going to ask, like, why did you feel that way? Why I wasn't maybe ready? Yeah. Cause like, I think, think, right. Like what you were saying, I'm like interrupting you. Um, yeah, you're good. (laughs) Well, like, you know, I think. You're most successful salesperson, right? Like they don't make great managers sometimes. And so <clears throat> I'd love to understand a little bit of like the, what was going through your brain in the sense of like being offered a manager role because you were acting more as a lead anyways, right? So taking on yeah. some of those manager duties um, and showing the potential, which is why obviously, and I, and I don't think, I don't think it's weird to be you not being interviewed because I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Like they yeah. saw the potential, you were kind of doing the role. And um, maybe there was a few extra things you were kind of added on, but like, I think ultimately you were showing the progression, but I'd love to understand like, what was the hesitation? Yeah. Well, I think there's like the common thing, like, okay, why are we all in sales? Like, it's yeah. not, it's, we want to make money, right? Like at the end of the day. Yep. And there were so many times that I heard that like, you know, as a manager, you're going to make less money as an I, than an IC because you're the, you know, you're the average of all of your reps. <laughs> I think that was something that like always beneath me. I was like, shoot, like what if I don't hit quota now and it's out of my control? So I think a lot of it was the like giving up control, which I think a lot of people probably face as like type A sellers probably. Mm -hmm. That was one thing. And I think I had like a good thing going. Like I had a great territory. Like I I love the team that I was on. Um, and I think what kind of pushed me was was the like I was already kind of doing this like natural leadership thing. Like, yes, I had no idea how to forecast. Um yeah. like that I needed to be handheld on for a really long time. <laughs> but 
the, it was something massively new for me of like, I had never managed a team. I had been in an AE for, for so long. Um, but honestly, and I kind of like make this as, I say this as a joke is I was so overlooking at the same pipeline that like hadn't closed that I pushed out months over months that I'm like, oh, this isn't closing. And I was like, I also hate sending follow-up emails. Like I was <laughs> so over it. And like, I, I, I say that as a joke and I still say that today. Luckily today, like all of the call recording tools kind of transcribe it. So like, thanks chat GPT and chorus and all of these things now. Absolutely. Um, but I, I was excited to like, to basically just train new people. Like I was already onboarding people. And so for me to create my own bubble of like people on kind of in my camp was so, yeah. so exciting. Um, and I miss that a lot. And I'm really excited to be able to do that at prequel as we kind of continue to like drive revenue. I need to hire people. So um, I'm going to be very, very excited when I get that again, but like managing a team and I did it February of 2021, which was like, kind of the, the year of the layoffs, mm-hmm. uh, went through a shit ton of ups and downs. Um, but like, it totally changed me as a person. Like I've learned so much. I've taken on a million new, um, like career traits that I didn't think I would have of like, how do I run an effective team meeting without everyone like slacking each other being like, Oh, I'm so bored. But yeah. what I, what I've tried to do is be super authentic with my team being like, listen, like I was just in this role. I'm not going to like tell you to do things that I didn't do. Like, this is why it worked for me. Here's why I'm asking you to do this is because I did this also, like, trust me. And there I had a lot of imposter syndrome in the beginning. Like most of my reps were at least a few years older than me. Um, Some people had already been at the company that I was at. Um, And so like the first few months I had big imposter syndrome. And then I was like, Rachel, snap out of it. You know what you're doing? Like the market is tough. It's okay that you're really not hitting like kind of okay. It's okay that you're not hitting like the goals you used to um, because the world has totally changed. So I think like kind of thinking like my micro self and then also the macro world, like I don't think I realized this until like six or seven months in. So I was like, I feel so defeated. Like I'm not onboarding my team properly. Then LinkedIn everywhere is like, no one's hitting quota. And then the layoffs happened. <laughs> right. So. Are there, are there, you know, I think when we're a team leader, right. And like everything is going great. <clears throat> that's the time. Like we almost kind of put like a little bit of a cruise control as a leader. Like, all right, everything's great. Like my team's hitting quota. Obviously you don't yeah. need to change anything because everyone's doing good. But I think at this moment's, when we're in down markets or the team's not doing as great and we're trying to pivot and we're trying to figure out what's working. It's almost like those are times we learn the most. And so you got into a time, you got into leadership in a time where like it was a little bit of a rocky place and it probably gave you a master's degree in leadership pretty quickly. Um, because in that sense, right? Like it, it there's, a, I think there was probably way more growth that happened for you in that short amount of time. Um, which now obviously we have the person that's sitting in front of us today. And I don't think we probably would be sitting in front of the same person. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It was a very tough first year and it continued to get better. Like my team was freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, And I left five Tran when cruise control started to happen again. So like the team is like hitting goal every single month, but like, you know, you're always leaving something on the table. I left behind an amazing company and group of people and, 
money and whatever, but like, it's going to be super, super awesome on the other side. But yeah, once you start getting into cruise control, then it's kind of like, okay, you know, my team doesn't really need me right now. Um, so I could have continued to kind of cruise maybe for this year. Who knows? I'm not there anymore. Um, (laughs) yeah, I, it was a fun challenge. Like it's kind of like going on a hike where like, I love hiking, but I also love to complain throughout the hike, even though I'm still enjoying it. (laughs) Wait, what's the point of hiking? If you're not going to be like, ugh, it's hot, it's dusty. Like I'm tired. This sucks. I'm like out of breath. Yeah. But then like, what's the aha moment at the end of it that like has you that that has you um to continue to come back and do it? Over yeah, and over I again? mean, a gorgeous view and like exercise, you know, it's like, wow, I, I, I burned some calories. I worked really hard. There's this amazing view at the top. I mean, it's like so corny, but metaphoric, right? It's like going on a hike and going to the peak and being like, oh, hey, that wasn't that bad. I think about the hike as, right, all the cold calls, all the emails, all the follow-up. For at the end, it's not, you know, for me, right, it's not about the revenue. I think it's, like, it's the business impact in the end. Yeah. Right? And, like, the revenue is fun, but, like, seeing – sometimes it was, like, I love just seeing the DocuSign. Like, every salesperson loves seeing DocuSign signatures. Yeah. And, like, seeing the closed one in the, like, Slack channel with all of the emojis – like the commission comes afterwards, but I'm like, what a fun feeling to be able to like close this out and kind of conquer this deal. Um, like you can't, you can't lie that that's not such a fun and enjoyable thing of like, congrats, this, you know, Absolutely. you worked hard this, whatever. And like, and cheering people on when I became a manager, seeing my team close deals and like yeah. kind of see that compound was like the most exciting thing. And I remember someone telling me like, Rachel, when you become a manager, like this altruistic feeling and like, yeah, I was also getting paid to on it, but like watching other people close deals that like are on your team is such a good feeling. And like, it's, it is definitely amazing to see it just kind of like cheerleading throughout. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, I think where people um, get mixed up, right? Like leadership's not necessarily about, it's not about us, right? It's about like making other people successful. And so it's got to be like that selfless world. Um, and when you have that mentality shift, it's, it's just a little different. So yeah. it's hard to go back to where you're at now um, as like an IC, I think. And so how's that transition been going back into more of like that intricate in, you know, that individual contributor role? And um, like, are you finding that the muscle was a little weak? Uh, the prospecting muscle, definitely a yeah. little bit weak. <laughs> um, I have not made a single cold call since joining. Um, but like, yeah, and, you know, going back to Salesforce opportunity updates, like next steps that I was so adamant about. Yeah. And I like was like a Rachel to myself. I was like, you got to keep them updated. I'm like, shoot, this is, <laughs> this is not so easy. So the muscle definitely needs to be retrained a bit. Um but it's been, it's been super fun. Like if, when I had my team before and they were like sharing their screen, I would just kind of want to be like, give me your computer. Like I would like accidentally yeah. scroll if they were sharing their screen as if I could like manage their mouse. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> do you think in the, in the last couple of months where you've been with prequel, do you think there's like some learnings that you figured out as by taking almost a step back? into that IC role that's going to make you a better manager for for later on. Um yeah, for sure. I mean, 
it's like, I think the cross collaboration that I learned as a manager at five turn, I'm now able to do here. Like I am kind of, there's, I, I have a head of solutions also. And like our founders are also selling with me. Yeah. What I've learned from being a manager previously is team selling is so important. Like, even though my title is head of sales, like I should never feel like I can't bring in somebody like it's, it's yeah. awesome because the prospect feels more valued if you're bringing in the co-founder on a deal, right? It's like, oh, they're spending do this with you. I think that is one thing. I think the other thing is like cross-collaboration. Like, you know, our GTM weekly syncs include engineering product co-founder solutions, you know? So like selling is a team sport always. And I think when you're an IC, you're so like heads down in your own deals. Then being a manager, I got to work with like engineering, Uh, solutions, engineering, product, customer success. And like, you know, if you are an IC, there is that like very heads down kind of tunnel vision um, that most people have. Yeah, no, I can totally get that. And so do you think more IC should take more of that team approach and like get more people involved in their deals? Uh, There are statistics on like team selling. Like if you bring in at the vendor level, like four people, you're, the likelihood of you closing a deal, like I think it's from Gong. I don't know what the percentage is, but the likelihood of closing a deal is way higher if you bring on other people. Like if you bring in like a product leader from a different area that knows this super well, like a subject matter expert, sure, you're again just project managing, and it makes your life easier, and the prospect feels valued. So yes, a million percent. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. You know, as you build your team at Prequel, like I'd love to hear some of the values that you're going to try to instill in the team and like the culture you're going to try to build. Cause this, maybe you can use it as a recruiting video. Say, so yeah, this is that. the kind of, this is the, this is the, this is the kind of team I want to build. Yeah. Um, I think humility is really important. Like yeah. you can get lots of tech bro attitudes or whatever, where like, it could be like a lone wolf personality or someone who's just like, I'm going to close deals my way. It's so, like yeah. humility, uh, team player, like you have to be a team player. Like so much of the perception of ICs is like, I just want to close these deals myself. Like you need to have a team player, especially at a startup. Like at Five Turn, we're 1500 employees. Right now we're we're 12. So like yeah. when I'm hiring someone, like I need them to be another version of me where they're like, hey, I actually built this deck that we can now utilize. So like self-sufficient, humble team player. And this word is kind of a weird one, but I used it when I was interviewing previously is like smart. I want someone Mm -hmm. that's smart and it's hard to define. I got asked this in an interview. They're like, what do you mean smart? How do you define that? And I was like, I don't know. It's kind of just like a a gut check EQ thing that I'm just like, I want someone to like, even if it's virtual, like make good eye contact with me, send me an appropriate spelled out correctly, organized grammatically, right? Follow up. And like, if not, I can't hire you. (laughs) (laughs) The little things, the little things matter way more than the big things, I think, sometimes. Yeah. So I would say those were the the four or five values. Yeah, I love that. Rachel, I have one last question for you. Yeah. How do you want to be remembered when you leave this life? Oh, God. (laughs) I know. That's a deep one. It's a deep one. That is a deep one. How do I want to be remembered? Uh, I I was going to say some like stupid Michael Michael Scott quote that I was going to butcher. Um, I think that like, I just made people's lives more enjoyable and like, they felt loved even in like a, you know, a, a 
per, like a corporate world. Like I want people that report to me to just be like, I felt really supported by this person. And I want that in all of my like relationships with family and friends too, is like, they just feel kind of the love from me. I would say. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, I know I have felt the love in our conversations. I feel the love in um, how you kind of like how you talk about how you chat with your your customers. And so um, I know a lot of people are going to get a ton out of this. I appreciate you jumping on with us. This has been a pleasure. Rachel, appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks, Tyler. This was super fun. Love it. Another episode of How the Grades Do It. You know you can listen on Spotify, YouTube, everything out there. We're there. Um, Thanks for watching.